0: turn to your in your bibles to acts chapter 19 and you might wonder why are we doing acts when we're doing hosea well, let me explain that we have been in hosea and the book of hosea is i think an incredible book hosea was a what was hosea he was a a prophet and he was married to a woman named gomer and she was a good wife or a bad wife bad wife Why was she a bad wife? She cheated on him lots and lots of times. So Hosea is a prophet called by God to preach to Israel. And God says, I want you to marry a woman who's going to be unfaithful to you. And the reason for that is you're going to, her relationship to you is going to show Israel what they've been doing to me, which has been cheating on me and committing spiritual adultery on me uh, for a long time. So the whole purpose of the book is to point out Israel's idolatry. And so this is why I want to keep these these slides up here to keep Hosea at the back of your mind as we go through the rest of the series. And so we're going to actually come back to the story of Hosea in a few weeks. But in the meantime, we've been covering over idolatry in our culture because Hosea's job was to point out idolatry in the nation of Israel. And so we've been looking at, at the first couple weeks, we looked at the idol of love, then we looked at the idol of money. And then last week was, do you remember last week? The idol of success. And so today, before I tell you what idol we're covering today, I wanted to um, just go through several passages and let you see a theme, and then we'll get to the actual idol we're covering today. But so I'll, I want you to turn to Acts chapter 19, verse uh, 30. And in this passage, Paul is in Ephesus. And just so you know where Ephesus is located, look at the screen. Here's a map for you. Uh, this is one of Paul's journeys down there at the bottom right. You'll see Ephesus. So it would be where current, uh, I guess, Turkey is located today, if you can make sense of that map. Do you guys see Greece? You guys just see a bunch of, you're like, what? I don't even know where that is, right? That's Greece there on the left, and you have Ephesus over where modern-day Turkey is today. So the Ephesians worshipped a goddess. You remember what her name was? What goddess did they worship in, in Ephesus? Do you remember that name? Artemis. Artemis. And the funny thing about Artemis was she was the goddess of the hunt. So you thought hunting was a manly thing to do, but they had a goddess back then that was the goddess of the hunt. And but weirdly, though, she was the goddess of the hunt, but she was also the goddess of birth, which is kind of like a, a conflict, wouldn't you think? Right? Like, I'm the goddess of birth. I'll protect your little baby deer. <laughs> oh, sorry. Right? I mean, there's kind of a conflict there, but that's the jobs that she had as the goddess. Now, there's this guy in this story named Demetrius, and he was a silversmith. And what his job was, he, his job was to make little idols to be put into the houses in Ephesus. And so, and even in our culture today, if, if, you can think of, if you can think of one thing that people need to put in their houses, and everyone needs to have one of these, you're going to make a lot of money. So in our culture, it would have been TV a long time ago. Then the computer. Now who knows what the iPhone, the iPad. Everyone has one of these. So if you can think of one thing that every household needs, you can make a lot, a lot of money. And so Demetrius said, and his friends, let's make little statues of Artemis, and people need this in their home to worship her. So we can make a lot, a lot of money. So they. They did that very thing. They made these things out of silver. And this was huge business in that city. But here's what happened. The gospel happened. So the gospel comes in. Paul and his friends come in. They're preaching the gospel. And so these people realize people are turning to Christ in droves. People are turning their life over to Jesus in droves. And so what happens is their business starts to go bad. And so these men start to gather around. They they decide, okay, these guys are not only preaching against our goddess Artemis and destroying our religion, but they're also destroying our business. So these guys are angry. If you want to make someone really angry, mess with their money and their religion. That will usually do the trick. And so here's what happens. These, these men gather in this Ephesian theater. It's still standing today. So go to the next slide. This is a theater that where this took place. Seats thousands of people. And so they're having this massive riot in this theater. Paul's friends are dragged into the theater, and they're about to be killed because of this. And so after the riot breaks out, here's what happens in verse 30 to 32. Look at verse 30. But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd. So, so Paul, in the severe minority of Christians, he wants to go in to the riot with his friends even though he knows they're probably gonna die and he's probably gonna die. So, Paul, right out of the gate, he wants to go into the riot with this many people, in that picture you just saw, with probably 12, 13,000 people that all probably wanna kill him. Paul wants to go into that riot. 31. And even some of the Asiarchs, who were friends of his, sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. So, Paul had some friends saying, Paul, It's not a real good idea for you to go into the theater with thousands of people who want to kill you. That's not the best decision. Look at verse uh, 32. Now some cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. One of my favorite verses in all of Acts is that one, because there's this massive riot. And it says there's confusion as to why the riot has started. Some people know why they're there. Some people have no idea why they're there. So there are two kinds of people who are drawn to a riot. Those who riot with a purpose and those whose purpose is to riot. You get my drift? So those two kinds of people show up at a riot. So there's the people who say, if you pull them aside and said, hey, um, why are you throwing Molotov cocktails into the street full of gasoline? They would say, because I'm really angry about this guy destroying our spirituality. Someone else, if you pull them aside, you'd say, Hey, why are you in this riot? They would say, because it's a riot, right? That's why I write because it's a riot. And so anytime you guys watch on television riots breaking out, um, those are the kinds of people that are drawn to a riot. Those that, that their purpose is, uh, their riot with a purpose, or those whose purpose, their sole purpose is just to riot. We're out here because there's a riot. That's why we're out here. Because riots are fun, right? So, if you can imagine, if there was a riot in here in, in downtown Temple, some of you guys would probably go there just because it's a riot, not knowing why you're there. And this is what's happening here in this story. And so, in the midst of that chaos, Paul's friends are dragged into the theater with thousands of rioters. And what does Paul want to do? He wants to go in. He wants to go in. He wants to jump right into that chaotic environment. Look, look with me at the next passage. Look, flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. All the way over to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And we'll look at verse 22. And I want you to see a theme here in these verses as we go through each one of them. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 22. Paul says, to the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. So what we see in this passage is that Paul is willing to do whatever it takes for the sake of the gospel. Paul is willing to set aside his rights for the sake of the gospel. He says, I have become all things so that I might save some. Now, what this does not mean, this does not mean that Paul engages into sinful activity so that he can relate to people. This does not mean that he goes and, you know, smokes a little bit to kind of get his, get his way in. You know, i got to find a way to establish the connection with these people, so I'm going to, as they're, you know, passing it around, I'm going to partake because... That's what you have to do to kind of get in with these, this crowd of people. That's not what he's doing here when he says this. In fact, I actually had a guy a few years ago that was part of this ministry. He said to me, we were discussing just the issue of language. And, you know, is, are certain words sinful or are certain words not sinful? And he said to me, he said, well, I really feel like if I use certain language on my football team, that it does build a bridge to these guys. In in my witness to them, and I'm going, really, you really believe that kind of trash? (laughs) Like, have you ever, have you guys ever seen it where where someone drops the F bomb and someone's like, you're a Christian, you can say that? Well, well, show me how to get to Jesus. I mean, that never seems to happen, right? So, so you got to be careful here. Like Paul's not saying he's become all things in the sense of I'm going to sin so that I can relate to people. That's not what he's doing here. He is saying that for the weak, I became weak. Meaning he's, he's become like, in some ways, he wants to relate to these people. He wants to answer their questions. He wants to befriend them. He wants to be a part of their life. He wants to answer their questions. He wants to engage them in conversation. So in those ways, he's becoming like them so that he can have a bridge to the gospel. And for some of you in this room, it might mean that you befriend someone that you wouldn't normally befriend, For the sake of the gospel, it might mean that you go to a crowd of people that you wouldn't normally be drawn to for the sake of the gospel. This does not mean you have to like talk like them, walk like them, dress like them, do everything that they do, but you find ways that you can enter into their world. And in verse 23, it says, Why does he do this? He does it all for the sake of one thing, and it's the gospel flip over to 2 Corinthians chapter 6 2 Corinthians chapter 6 chapter 6 verse 2 Paul says behold now is the favorable time behold now is the day of salvation we put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no one so that no fault may be found with our ministry but as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance in afflictions, hardships, and calamities. i want to stop right there. So Paul is willing to remove any obstacle that someone else has in coming to know Christ. Anything that stands in the way, he wants to remove that obstacle and make it more easy for that person to come into a relationship with Jesus. And in verse 4, he starts listing off all these ways in which he has suffered. We'll read the rest of the list in just a minute. But why is he so willing to suffer for the sake of the gospel? What kind of suffering did Paul have to undergo? And, and don't turn here, but just listen to me. Second Corinthians chapter 11, Paul lists out all the ways in which he has suffered for the sake of the gospel. And I'll read these to you. He was whipped with 39 lashes. You remember? That's how many Jesus Christ himself was whipped. If you saw The Passion of the Christ and it was biblical... He was whipped 39 times. It was 40 minus one because they thought 40 would kill someone. And Jesus was beaten to a bloody pulp where he was unrecognizable by people. They would see him and say, who is that? We can't even tell who that is. Paul, this happened to him five times. What happened to Christ happened to Paul five times. You can imagine the scars that he must have bore that people that knew him thought that's not the Paul. I know that guy's tore up 39 lashes, five times. He was beaten with rods three times. That's a bad day. He was stoned one time. And I don't mean with drugs. He was stoned one time. He was shipwrecked three times, shipwrecked three times. Listen, If you guys are on a a boat, right, and you are shipwrecked one time, are you getting on a boat again ever? No. Paul shipwrecked three times. Why? For the sake of the gospel. Kept getting back on the boat. I'm just going to, yeah, the ship capsized last time. We're doing this again. It happened again. Well, we're doing this a third time. He was adrift at sea. For one night and one day, he went on many frequent journeys. He had danger from rivers, danger from thieves. In that day, the likelihood that you would get mugged on a long road was pretty likely. Danger from thieves. Danger from his own people, the Jews. Danger from Gentiles, the non-Jews. Danger in the city. Danger in the wilderness. Danger at sea. Danger from false Christians. Toil and hardship. Sleepless nights. Many, hunger and thirst often, cold and exposed frequently. And you add to all of that just the pressure that Paul felt with the mission he was on, just the anxiety he felt about all the churches he's trying to minister to. So you add all the physical stuff, all the physical suffering, to just the spiritual anxiety that he felt and the responsibility that he felt towards all these churches he's ministering to. And you add all of this up, and in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, this is what's amazing, don't turn there, but Paul calls all of this list, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he calls it, you ready? A light and momentary affliction. A A light and momentary affliction, Paul calls what I just read to you. Do you and I ever, See suffering like that and see suffering in that light. You see, how you and I handle suffering shows who our real God is. How you and I handle suffering shows who our real God is because Paul's real God was Jesus, it was not idols. And he was able to see the gospel clearly, he was able to see Jesus for who he really is to see himself for who he really was, a sinner saved by the grace and blood of Jesus Christ. Look with me at verse 5. Paul goes on with the list. Beatings, imprisonments, riots, labor, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left. Through honor and dishonor, Through slander and praise, we are treated as imposters and yet are true. As unknown and yet well-known. As dying and behold we live. As punished and yet not killed. As sorrowful yet always rejoicing. As poor yet making many rich. As having nothing yet possessing everything. As having nothing yet possessing everything. If all, look at me, if all you had to hang on to was Jesus, would you say you possessed everything? If everything else had been stripped from you and all you had was a relationship with Christ, would you say that you possess everything, that he's everything to you? As having nothing but possessing everything. When Paul, when the world looked at Paul's life, they would say, you're, you're a loser. You've got nothing. You're being beaten for this. What's, what's the point of this as having nothing but possessing everything? So, so Paul wants to walk into a riot. Paul wants to set aside his rights so others can be saved. Paul is willing to suffer and to be killed. And the question is why? Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 23 tells us why. And it says, I do it all for the sake of the gospel. I do it all for the sake of the gospel. I do all of this for the sake of one thing, and it's the gospel. Paul would do anything for the gospel. Anything for the gospel. And as I read those passages, I think there's one thing, there's one idol that keeps us from living this way. And it's this, it's the idol of comfort. It's the idol of comfort. I want you to think about all of your decisions that you make throughout the past week, throughout the past month, throughout the past year. How many of those decisions have been about one thing? And it's been about your comfort, right? Most of what drives our decisions is one thing and it's our own, peace and our own comfort as we define it. What if we were just like Paul? What if we were just like Paul in that every single decision that we make is about one thing. It's about the gospel. It's about this one thing, the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. I have to tell you that there's, there've been some ways where I've been extremely convicted of this recently. What I'm sharing with you today is not in the Tim Keller book I mentioned to you last week. It's not in um, this series officially. I just have felt over the course of the last few months that I wanted to share this with us, myself, and with you. Because I, I'm preaching to myself this morning as well, as well as you. But there are ways I've been extremely convicted about this in my own life. One of the ways is sharing my faith. Obviously, in my job, I work at a church. I don't go into the workplace like your parents do. And I'm not exposed to unbelievers all day, every day. Um, although Tim Cartwright, I am kind of worried about him. And, but I'm not exposed to as many people like you are and you're so I've got to find other ways to do that. I've got to find ways to engage people outside of that. And so one of the ways that I do that is, yeah, I go to the gym in the mornings, but I don't go there just to work out. My, my hope and prayers, is I meet people that I can talk to, but you know what? It's five 30 in the morning. Do you feel like I feel like talking about the gospel at 5.30 in the morning? No. Do you think someone else wants to discuss that at 5.30 a.m. while they're on the elliptical machine? Probably not. But here's the question. Is my idol comfort? Is my idol, the thing I worship, comfort, or is it Jesus? So why are those discussions so difficult to have? Another way that I've been convicted is um, my wife and I are involved in a community group on Friday evenings. And let me tell you, a Friday evening, I love going to our group. Most of the time, I love going. But here's the thing. Some of the time, I don't like going. Sometimes I want to stay home and just hang out with the family and just do our thing. And so being involved in community is very difficult sometimes, and it requires me to set aside this idol of comfort and to push through and to press into Christ. Another area, spending time in his word. Yeah, I carve out time in the mornings after I go to the gym workout. I'll go um, sit in my car. I'll I'll read and I'll pray there. I'll go for a prayer walk around the gym sometimes and just um, spend time that way. But you know what? Sometimes, in fact, a lot of the time, I don't want to do that. I'm being real honest with you. There's something in me that just goes, you know what? I'd rather look at my ESPN app on my iPhone. That sounds a lot more fun. And that's where I'm at. And so I want to turn this to you now. So I know if if that's me, I know it's definitely you as well. And so here's how I think I've seen this play out here on Sunday mornings. I know that one of the biggest factors of some of you guys coming into this room is your comfort. Like whether or not you'll come in here on a Sunday is, well, did I like how he or she talked to me? Or did I like how I was felt made to feel by um, this person or that person? If not... I'm gone. I'm gone. So Sundays, same with Wednesdays. When you come here on Wednesdays, many of you will come into this building, and it's like if you don't feel completely and totally comfortable, then we get one shot with you, and you're out. And I know part of that's on us. Like we have to be extend ourselves and, and, and be welcoming, and that's part of that is on us. But it is a two-way street. It is a two-way street. Because if you're going to base everything on your comfort, then to me, it flies in the face of what Paul did. And that was to do anything he could for the gospel, being extremely uncomfortable for the sake of the gospel. Other ways I see this happen with us is I mentioned this before, but with this thing, I mean, this thing is like a whirlpool that just sucks you right in, right? I mean, how many times have you, have you been going to your Bible to pick it up and read it, and it's like something in your brain just goes, iPhone, I, where's my iPhone? iPhone, and you go find it, and half hour later, you're like, what am I doing, right? Some of you guys come into this room, and um, this is your comfort. Instead of trying to engage people, instead of trying to reach out to people that might need it, instead of trying to be available for someone else who needs to talk to someone or, or just being friendly and nice, this is what you're doing. just in your own little world. And I know for some of you, it's a defense mechanism. I get that. But it's a two-way street. We've got to try as a group, but you've got to try as an individual. Are you going to lay aside your idol of comfort and the things that you go to and do anything for the sake of the gospel? Others of you have felt in the past, you have felt called to go on a mission trip or you have felt called to do something like impact, and you have let the idol of comfort tell you no. You have let the idol of comfort say, well, I don't really know if I'm going to like that or I don't know if I feel comfortable doing that, so I don't feel like that's what I need to be doing. And that is the idol of comfort. Are you willing to be like Paul and do anything for the sake of the gospel? There was a girl that graduated a couple years ago, uh, went to Temple High, and her name was uh, Sarah Alpeny, and I can't ever pronounce her last name, but um, how do you say it? I've said it both ways and been corrected. So I just leave it to you guys to figure that one out. But she was a girl who came as a freshman to TBC. And um, I noticed that she came with a couple of girls. And then after her freshman or sophomore year, her friends dropped off, but she kept coming. And she didn't have a ton of friends here at first. But for about a year and a half, I saw this girl walk in with her Bible and lots and lots of questions. And she just kept coming and kept coming, and she did impact, and she got involved in being involved in small groups and so on. And, and this girl was just committed. And at one point in her senior year, I said, We were at impact camp in New Braunfels. I said, Hey, Sarah, tell me something. How was it that you stuck through your friends dropping out of the body of Christ? But you stuck with it. What, what made you stay? And she said, Well, you know, I like having friends here and stuff, but. I just was really hungry for the word, and I wanted to be taught the word, and I wanted to be a part of the body. And so I let that keep me coming, and then I made friends later on as time went on. And I was just blown away. I thought, man, how great would it be to have more people like that, more people that that see the gospel as the most important thing. They see their own them being involved in community as the most important thing, and their comfort as a way back in the background, a secondary thing. Was she uncomfortable? Yeah, for about a year and a half. But she stuck with it because she wanted to do it for the sake of her walk with Christ. Usually our decisions are not about the gospel at all, but about our comfort. Most of us operate under the false belief. Go to my next slide. Most of us operate under this false belief, and it's this. If I'm doing God's will, then it's going to be easy. Most of us operate with this idea in mind. If, if I meet any resistance, if I feel the, 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 the slightest bit uncomfortable, then that must not be, that's God's way of telling me it's not his will. Can you imagine if Paul used that excuse? I mean, I was shipwrecked once. I'm not doing that again. Like, stay away from ships. Let's just stay on the land. Yes. The gospel is needed on the land where I am in, in this town right now. This is where I'm going to stay the rest of my life. So, right, if, if we operate under this belief, then there's a lot of a gospel preaching that doesn't get done throughout history, right? In fact, I would say it's the opposite, that sometimes when you're doing God's will, it's usually very difficult. Now, what I want you to see this morning is um, I'm not saying that just because something is uncomfortable that that means it's the right thing. I'm not saying that just because something is uncomfortable, that makes it the right thing. I'll give you an example. I went to uh, University of Texas at Arlington. So it's not the cool UT, but it's the less cool UT. And, um, there was this place in front of the library called the free speech area. And every few months there would be this, um, these guys that would circle through and they would, um, they were like evangelistic preach, but they were awful. These guys would come to the library because they knew that was a free speech area. No one could ever tell them to shut it down and they have to go somewhere else. Um, they would set up shop there. They'd have a microphone, a little speaker, and usually a strange-looking wife. And uh, and they would be standing there, and they'd be, like, spouting out all this venom at people as they passed by. I mean, I'll, I'll quote one person. I apologize for my, my crass quote, but this is what he said. He would yell at the girls that walked by with this Bible. He would say, the sorority houses are whore houses. This is what this man would say. And the girls were walking by going, like, Throwing the finger up, just whatever, and there's this crowd around this one guy, and they're just they're, they're they're shouting back at this guy, they're yelling at him, he's yelling back at them. And I'm walking by, going, this is awful. I feel embarrassed to be a Christian right now. But what that guy was doing was it uncomfortable? Yes, it was for him and everybody else. But does it make? Does it mean, like, go to the extreme and be as uncomfortable as possible because that must be the right thing? That's not what I'm saying. Put my next uh, quote up there. The uncomfortable thing isn't always the right thing, but the right thing is usually uncomfortable. The right thing is usually uncomfortable for us. Doesn't mean you have to go stand on your table in your cafeteria at school and be like, you know, repent, turn to Jesus, right? Right? But it does mean that what's right is usually uncomfortable for us. I want to ask you three questions as we close out here and have some discussion. And I know it's late, but I wanted to really get this to you this morning. The first question is this. Will you surrender your life to Jesus no matter how inconvenient it is? For those in the room that don't know Christ yet, you're not following Christ yet, will you submit and surrender your life to Christ no matter how inconvenient it is for you. The next question, will you live in community no matter how difficult it is for you? Like Sarah, when you feel uncomfortable, what do you do? Do you tuck tail and run or do you keep working at it? Do you keep growing? Do you keep fighting through the resistance? Yeah, you know what, guys? I'll admit, we can be rude sometimes. Sometimes and we need to stop being rude to people. That's, that's on us. But it is a two-way street. If you're someone new this morning, then I want to apologize for us in advance. We're going to hurt you probably. We're, gonna, we're not perfect. But we want you to understand also that we want you to fight through that, that discomfort for a while for the sake of the gospel, in the same way that Paul did. And the third question I want to ask you is, will you live on mission even if it causes suffering? Will you live on mission, even if it causes suffering? So recently, um, at my wife's suggestion, I started running in the mornings. And I hate running. In fact, the reason why I started running in high school was because there was a soccer ball to chase. And that's like that's a great way to run. I hate aimless, pointless running. There was no ball involved. And so I started running, but... What I noticed was the first month or so, I was very uncomfortable. I hated it. Just breathing hard for no reason and just running for nothing, no apparent reason. And then what I noticed, though, is over the course of a few weeks, I started to, like, really feel, like, different. I started to feel like I had more energy. I started to feel like I had just something different about how I was approaching my workouts and stuff. And my wife, of course, she's like, I told you so. I'm like, yeah, whatever. So I hate, listen, I hate the process of running, but you know why I've stuck with it? Because I love the results. Because I feel totally different when I do that. And I think that's partly how the gospel is, is that when you meet resistance, you don't have to always love the process, but you need to love the results. And the results, you loving the results of being close to Jesus, being a part of the body of Christ, living on mission, those results should lead you, like it did for Paul, to fight through the discomfort and the resistance. Paul even says as much in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. He says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize, so run that you may obtain it. Go ahead and discuss at your tables. Go ahead and discuss.